just looked at my heart rate monitor now. Not to make sure I'm still alive. But just to show how much I'm at home here. It was at 54. But during the day, there are times when my heart rate goes up significantly. And that is when my telephone rings and the call identifier shows on there, spam. You know those calls that come to you throughout the day? And when you first hear someone saying, uh, good morning, is that Gerald Dupree? Now someone who knows me and is phoning me won't be asking me that question. Then I say to them before they go on, I said, let's save your time and my time. I'm not buying anything today. <laughs> and daily we are bombarded with all kinds of offers. Discounts on this, free offers on that, and then you've got five minutes and 74 seconds to be able to get this particular offer. And you know, so many of these offers are unbelievable. And that is exactly what they are. Unbelievable. But even those genuine offers that come to us, at the bottom we'll see the word T and C supply. What do they say? There's no such thing as a free lunch. Another sign that we see from time to time is, or restriction that we encounter is, right of admission reserved. Now it might be an age restriction. I saw a little advert coming up here for Seniors Appreciation Day. I leant over to uh, my fellow uh, <coughs> classmate here, and I said to him, does that refer to us? Because those pictures, they look horrendous. <laughs> so, admission reserved, it might be because of age, or gender restriction, or in the dark days of apartheid, a race restriction. Sometimes it might just be a simple restriction of your attire. No shorts or sandals allowed. And sometimes we get annoyed by these restrictions that are placed upon us. Right of admission reserved. And we ask ourselves the question, who owns the right to restrict admission to a facility or a venue? In the last few weeks, we've had challenges on some of our campuses. And at times, it has been stressed that it is our right to be here. Who has the right to restrict admission to a facility or to a venue? Now, it would be reasonable to think that the owner or the operator of a facility or an establishment 
would have the right to set conditions for persons entering the premise or using those facilities. After all, someone setting up a business or setting up a restaurant or setting up an institution has conceptualized offering a service or convenience for the use of the community. The owner has invested time and resources, intellectual capital, in getting that facility up and running. The proprietor has made sure that all the statutory and the legal requirements have been met and they are ready for business. But interestingly, even though logically we can accept that the owner or the operator of the service has the right to determine the activity and the actions of those who use that facility. Yet society objects to being told how to behave or what is appropriate or having to adhere to notices. Have you seen so many people pulling into parking bays that has the picture of a, the disabled sign, the international disabled sign, and you see folk pulling up there. And they get out and uh, they look around almost as if to say, tell me I can't park here. The other evening my wife had gotten out and I was parking opposite such a place. And a gentleman pulled up, very fit, very healthy, got out. And my wife came out of the shop at that moment. But she didn't know where I was parking, so I just gave her a little hoot so she can know where I am. And of course, this guy gets out of his car and I give a little hoot. <laughs> and he turns around and he glares at me and I smile at my wife. <laughs> what do they say? Stupidity is not a disability. <laughs> but... When there's this parking bay for the disabled or there's a sign in the Uber that says no eating or no talking in the library, we have the tendency to say, it is my right. You can't tell me what to do. We are entitled to behave however we choose. And those of you who have children or grandchildren, or those who are just beginning to flex their, their intellectual freedom, when you tell them to do something, but why? And you answer the first question, yes, but why? Now those who are a little older will tell you that in their day, if they said, but why? they would get a backhand. You do it because I said you must do it. And later it becomes a challenge to the parents' authority when the teenagers, they do something just because they were told not to do it. And before the older ones here start saying, that doesn't apply to us, we sometimes find ourselves on that empty N1 um, with a car that can ride a little bit faster than the speed limit, 
we see no other cars around and no cars with a light on the roof. And we say the road is clear. And with this car, 150 you can't feel. And our foot edges just a bit closer to the floor. Within us, there seems to be that inherent, that inbuilt, that intrinsic desire to say, I do not have to follow the rules. And when they say the right of admission reserved, we will show them. It seems as human beings, we are wired to go against the instructions of authority. And the Western culture hasn't done us any help, any good in this. Because it shapes our thinking and teaches us to be critical thinkers, independent thinkers, to decide for ourselves. And while that philosophy has its place, do we not sometimes take it beyond making wise choices? beyond weighing up the pros and cons of a situation, conducting a risk-benefit analysis when confronted with a dilemma. Is the danger not there in our individualistic society? We run the risk of everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. It reminds me of the young lady, Eve, and I paused momentarily before I said young, because we don't know what her, her chronological age she was when she was created, but she was young in terms of earth age. So she's confronted with the question, did God actually instruct you not to eat of any trees of the garden? And Eve was wise. She said, no, God did not restrict us from eating from all the trees, but only from this tree in front of which I'm standing. And there begins the slippery slope of questioning the credentials of the creator, of the owner, of the proprietor, Genesis 3 verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. In direct contravention to what God had said. You can eat of any tree in this garden, but the tree in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that. And the ultimate authority says, but I, in this case Eve, think. God says, but I think. Have you heard that before? I have a good friend that I often converse with, and many times our conversations get to, to this point where he will say, I hear you. Now, when he says, I hear you, 
He's acknowledging that what I'm saying is probably right. I hear you. And what word follows that? But. And then I say to him, but now why even bother to say I hear you? Because you're totally ignoring what I've said. That's why you say but. And here we have the creator, the owner, the proprietor, the one who has all the right to place restrictions. God says of all the trees you may eat, but of this one. Now, I don't know how many trees there were in the garden. We could speculate. Uh, Robbie Koopman, as a botanist, might tell us how many species of plants and genus and phylum and whatnot of all these uh, biological things. You can eat of all of them. But on this one, there's the right of admission. Just this one. The creator says, but the creature says, I think. God, the creator, the originator of life, the provider of sustenance, the ruler of the universe, the essence of love, directs us on a path of ultimate victory and eternal life. And his word is matched by the slithering slinking, sardonic, sassy, self-serving serpent. The very embodiment of Satan himself. And what does Eve do? She weighs up these two. And the Bible says she took of its fruit and ate. When Moses was confronted with the instruction not to strike the rock. His temper got the better of him. So he hit the rock, arising from his anger against the people, contrary to God's word. When Saul was confronted with the instruction not to take of the spoils of battle, he went against the prophet's instruction, blaming his choice on peer pressure. But it's the people, Lord. When confronted with the response of Christ to the question, what must I do to be saved? The rich young ruler went away sorrowful because the counsel of the Creator Messiah went against his choices and priorities. And the Bible says, for he had much wealth. God says, but I think. And it is Solomon who said, there's a way that seems right to us. But the end, nothing good will come of it. On the contrary, he says, it leads to destruction. And we could say self-destruction. God, who is the owner, the proprietor, the creator the provider, the sustainer, he exercises his right by setting terms and conditions. He reinforces his authority by declaring right of admission reserved. 
But can I share a secret with you this morning? With his terms and conditions, with those rights of admission, there's no fine print to trip you up. He exercises his right, yes. But his terms and conditions are set up in such a way that you will find it extremely difficult not to gain admission. Most times in terms and conditions, you've got to read it very carefully because somewhere along the line you're going to slip up. But his terms and conditions are, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, I love the world so much that I gave my son Jesus so that everyone who believes in him will not face an eternal death, but is guaranteed life without end. I love those terms and conditions. He says, I'm coming back to this earth to fetch my children. We sang about it this morning. We have this hope. I'm coming to fetch my children, those who have accepted my gift, freely given on the cross, and allowed my robe of righteousness to cover their sins. I'm coming back to take them home to be with me forever. His terms and conditions says, it may seem that I'm taking long to come back, as some people describe delay. But I am delaying my coming for your benefit. And through Peter, he says to us, because I don't want any one of you to miss out on heaven an out-of-this-world experience. Now, institutionalized religion has a problem with the terms and conditions that Jesus has given. Now, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Religion has a problem with what Jesus says. But that's a fact. As with the Pharisees, you will hear arguments about returning tithe on gross versus net, and we've had the discussion during this quarter, or we'll have the argument over the proper attire for church. Remember, I'm talking about institutionalized religion. We'll have debates on acceptable music styles. We'll spend weekends discussing what we should eat and what we should not eat. And when I look at Jesus' terms and conditions, I don't see it there. Now, are these important things Yes, I must please the Pharisees amongst us as well. By saying they are important, I won't leave you behind. But listen to the words of the owner. 
the creator, the proprietor, the one who has the right to set the terms and conditions, the one who has the copyright of the rules and the laws. Now those of you here who have your papers put through turn it in, you know how you wait for that report to come back. And they say a 65% similarity. And you know you're doomed. But we do that to the laws of Christ. If we must put our conditions through turn it in of heaven, it will come back as 99% plagiarized. Jesus, the owner, the creator, the proprietor, the one with the copyright to the rules and laws, the terms and the conditions says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, herbs and spices. Can you imagine, now, Brother Lynx was mowing his lawn during the week. Now imagine going to the back garden and counting the herbs. Aniseed. Have you seen aniseed? Trying to count them to make sure you pay a tithe on your aniseed. And this is what Jesus says, says here. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. My terms and conditions. And then he surprises us by telling us what those terms and conditions are. Listen to the master. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Matthew 23, 23. You know, it's interesting when Jesus gave his manifesto, somebody questioned um, uh, the commander-in-chief, Julius Malema, during this week, whether in his news, his, his, um, his press conference, whether he was launching a political campaign. He says, no, that's coming up in July. Jesus launched his manifesto when he preached that Sabbath in Nazareth. And he didn't outline for them the 2,300-day prophecy. He didn't show them the connection between Daniel and Revelation that was not yet written. No. He did not talk about last day events and moving to the country. He said, I have brought freedom to the captive. I have brought sight to the blind. I have come so that the lame can walk again. A little while later, John the Baptist, his cousin, was in jail and was getting a bit worried about this work of his cousin that he had announced as being the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he sent a message to say, go and find out. Are you the Messiah? Or should we wait for someone else? 
Now Jesus should have taken his charts out and shown how in the middle of the week he would be crucified. And shown how the, the, the command was sent out for uh, Jerusalem to be rebuilt and to be able to prove that in the fullness of time he had come. Isn't that the way we defend our faith? What did he say to, to, to the disciples who had come to ask him the question? Go and tell John. You see these blind men here? They can see. Do you see those who couldn't walk? They can walk. Do you see those who were hungry? I fed them. The evidence of his messiahship was in his relationship to people. The evidence of him being the creator of this universe was the way he treated those who are in need. Institutionalized religion depends on arguing biblical, and I'm going to say something now that some won't like, trivia. And I'm calling it trivia because Jesus said, these is what you should have done. The weightier matters. And it is not the teaching on tithe, the teaching on health, the teaching on the 2,300 days. We can be so consumed with doctrine that we lose sight of Jesus Christ. Now, are we not presumptuous when the master sets the terms and conditions, but then we go and develop our own? When he sets up the rights of admission and we adjust it and tweak it to suit our opinions and views, are we not being disrespectful? And Jesus speaks directly to this thinking when he shares the story of the sheep and the goats to illustrate the difference between those who are allowed to enter his kingdom and those who are not. The right of admission reserved. And in our scripture reading of this morning, verse 40 of chapter 25 of Matthew, we find the story where Jesus spells out the terms and conditions of entry into heaven very clearly. The rules which allow for the right of admission are outlined without any added fine print. And brothers and sisters, I appeal to us this morning that we will stop hindering those who wish to come to the kingdom by writing out terms and conditions which God hasn't written. When the Lord comes according to Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, there are two categories only, symbolized by the sheep and the goats. And when he describes those who had fulfilled his requirements for entry, 
and he describes those who had not fulfilled the requirements. I struggled to find all the doctrines and the teachings and the regulations and the requirements that we place for those who choose to come to Jesus Christ. I struggle. Because Jesus says to them, verse 34 to verse 36, what is the basis of the sheep being admitted? They fed the hungry. They gave water to the thirsty. They welcomed the stranger, clothed the naked, and visited the sick and those in prison. Does it mean the righteous did not go to church? No. Does it mean the righteous did not do good? No. Does it mean the righteous did not demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit? No. Does it mean the righteous did not have the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus? No. But none of those things save them. Our salvation comes in being like Jesus. And Jesus said, go tell John. This is the proof of my messiahship. This is the proof of my divinity. The way I relate to people. It's easy for me to go through a check sheet. You know, 13 things that we do when we are baptized. There are 13 questions. For those of you who have tested, those who are baptized, you know. There's 13 questions in our, in our church manual. It's easy to tick them off. And we watch when people stand here in front. You know, it's like those, those Russian... Is there a Russian doll thing that goes like that? Yeah. They just do this. Where do we evaluate the Spirit of Christ, the relationship to people, justice, mercy, and compassion? I will be a vegan till I die, but don't mess with me. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Now it's amazing, those that Jesus says, you've got the right of admission. Their response is, no, 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 Lord. Not me. I didn't do that. Now if you go back to chapter 7 of Matthew, you get those who stand there. But Lord, I prophesied in your name. I preached in your name. I healed people in your name. Those who subscribe to institutional religion are able to go through a checklist of things that they've done. And it's easy to do things. But it's more difficult to be a follower of Christ. 
And Christ says to them, and the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Our relationship is what counts. Not the keeping of a set of rules. The way you relate to others. Not being able to recite the 28 fundamental beliefs. Right of admission reserved. The terms and conditions. Truly I say unto you. As you did it to one of the least of these my brothers. You did it to me. Amen.